When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the B-Sides. Hello. Hi. The B-Sides is a podcast for people who refer to Kelly Clarkson's version of It's Quiet Uptown from the Hamilton Mixtape as emotionally profound and refer to Senator Chuck Grassley as the Crypt Keeper. Or that's just me. But that's what this podcast is for. It might be just you, but it still resonates strongly. Thank you. I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah Zoe. And welcome to the B-Sides. You can and should subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. So subscribing makes it much easier to keep up with us. Mm-hmm. So today we're actually going to do things a little differently. We're going to change up our usual format. Okay. And we're going to skip the A-Sides, <gasps> which is where we usually talk about a top headline in music news. I know. Hannah's gasping. She can't believe Horrified. it. Yeah. This is horrifying. And we're also going to skip the U-sides where we usually air feedback from you all. And we're doing this in order to spend all of our time on the B-sides. Hell yeah. Because today we have a very special guest, Dan Baggerly of Philly-based DIY bands Trash Boy and Little War, who's here to provide more of that ever-crucial male perspective. And who also knew both me and Becky years before... The two of us ever met or spoke. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable, actually. So that's fun. Um, so stay right here to learn more about that fun fact in particular. But more importantly, stay tuned because Dan is also going to talk to us about what he loves about pop music, what he loves about punk music, his experience and purpose as a musician. And he's going to help us reckon with what is wrong with the music industry under accelerated capitalism. And yes. he's also going to dunk on Spotify that's so fun i i haven't so i wasn't a part of this interview that mimi and becky conducted so i haven't even heard it yet and i'm very excited mimi that description is is really uh uh titillating (laughs) well that's an endorsement so let's get right into the b-sides Here we are in the B-Sides, which today is another G-Sides, kind of, because we have another guest, mm-hmm. a very special one, Dan Baggerly. Hi, I'm Dan. And you may recognize that voice because maybe you've heard him on some indie website. I don't, I don't know how people find anything, honestly. I just, besides live shows, that's my bubble. That's my personal bubble I need to break out of the live show life what that's the only way people get entertained right as far as i can tell just going to see live shows of amateur bands (laughs) every night (laughs) that's exactly it yeah so basically hannah is not here today she's conspicuously absent 
but mom's out of town (laughs) mom's out of town kids kids are gonna party um so you have me Mimi who's talking right now Becky and Dan who's gonna you know step into Hannah's shoes or fill some different shoes entirely I'm pretty sure so Dan is correct me if I'm wrong a founding member a vocalist and a guitarist of a Philly a Philly based DIY band called Trash Boy this is true. They're really good. Um, and their latest album is came out in August of this year, 2019. Yep, yep. Who will take the trash out when we're gone? Is that a rhetorical question? Mostly. I mean, I don't think once that question is asked in earnest, there will be no one to answer it. So, <laughs> And we will spend the rest of the podcast answering this question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's about the, you know, the movie Wally. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> And the answer is Wally, the little robot. That's that's who won't take uh, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm soothed by that. Deep. <laughs> I'm comforted. Uh the most the most the most comforting apocalyptic scenario. That's right. <laughs> thanks to Pixar. That's right. Um Dan's also really good at the internet, if I may say. He's you know, I called him an expert good spaces of the internet preservationist as they as they disappear before our eyes a what's going on understander <laughs> more generally and just a generally wonderful person and he's going to talk with us about the power dynamics of the music industry how they affect who gets to have a major platform and get to the heart of a lot of the pop and politics talk that this podcast touches on and often circles around in that way well thank you for uh, all the nice things you have to say about me this is this is my particular particular brand of like brain worms so i'm happy to talk about the stuff that bounces around in my head every day <laughs> that's great um the other thing that we should note about dan before we get into it is that becky and i both know him he hasn't met hannah but becky and i both know him from like very different parts of our lives and different years and both knew him separately before we knew each other so that's fun yeah six degrees baby six degrees that's right Mm -hmm. um so we should explain how we know you unless you want to explain how you know us please go i Okay. Dan's like, I don't remember how I met Becky, so if we could have her explain. And I know more people sometimes. I honestly think that's true. I'm just like, oh, who's this person on my phone now? Yeah. I got to pretend like I remember. Yeah. Um, I have to feel like that's true for you, whereas I feel like I remember, if I've met someone more than once, I think I like remember how I met them usually, but you, you meet a lot of people. Um. Okay, so we met because you were in a band, Trash Boy, yes. um, that that you are still in, that one of my high school friends was a drummer of and is no longer in. Correct. And that's how I first learned of you, but I don't think that he introduced us really. I feel, I just remember following you on Twitter, and then I remember... Uh, meeting you i remember you being on like the hinge dating app and we we met on the apps and 
but I'd met you in life before that. I don't think so. Don't think so? Here's 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 how it goes, I think. But I remember yeah. I think I think we matched on Hinge and then I was like, "Oh, hey, you're in a band with my friend because I wanted him to introduce us and he didn't." And then we had a Halloween party and you walked through the door of my house, which is a really yeah. convenient way for you to meet me. <laughs> You walked in with him and, like, a few other people, and then you, like, walked right up to me, and you were like, hey, are you Mimi? Like, I'm Dan. Okay. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah, that sounds very plausible. I thought I we had met before that time, but easily could have not. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think so, but... But memory isn't isn't I, perfect. Yeah, I'm memory really... Memory also isn't oh, Dan's God. strong point. I'm I'll, feeling... I'll say that. Yeah, <laughs> Becky would know. <laughs> Basically, I, I think we met on Hinge, and then you like faved all my cover photos on Facebook, something yes, like that. Yes, something like that. And then I was like, "Oh man, I matched with someone on Hinge, and it said we uh, both had near death experiences." And I and I remember telling you like, "I'm done with this because I don't like this. I don't like yeah. that this says this." Yeah. But I'll meet you in real life sometime. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that like element of it. It's a weird place. Yes. I I remember certain things. I just don't remember what order they happened in. My life is a non-sequential David Lynch or Quentin Tarantino type movie. I I honestly feel like our time together is also to blame for that. So, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Let's get to that. So Dan and I met in 2015. Becky and Dan, Becky, if you'll explain, met years before this. Not that many. We also met on Hinge. (laughs) But in Germany. (laughs) But in Germany. No, I'm just kidding. Dan and I studied abroad together in the fall of 2012 in Freiburg, Germany. And um, study is a loose loose term there. Um, um, Say we partied a lot abroad. (laughs) Uh, Had an amazing time. Uh, It was great. Learned a lot about ourselves in the process. Yes, and Dan nearly... Uh, killed himself yeah speaking of near-death experiences (laughs) i i had a brain abscess at the end of this that uh was i mean we're here to talk about music and politics but scary i I could talk about a brain abscess for 15 to 20 minutes if if you ever meet (laughs) me in person (laughs) yeah dan i'll actually never forget this memory of you which i have a lot but one is we were in rome in december it was like early december Mm -hmm. and Dan was like very clearly had a cold, maybe getting the flu. And it was like two o'clock in the morning. And everyone was like, all right, we're going to go back to like the hotel now. It's been a long night. And you were like, no, nah, man, we're in Rome. And you like <laughs> kept going. And I honestly think yeah. in that moment was when you probably should have gone home. And perhaps it was then that led to the uh, brain problems. I mean, this is true, but there's, you know, there's really old stuff in Rome and really old stuff is cool there's stuff that's way older than Listen, anything in america so i gotta go and see what that stuff is you lived and the amount of time that i'm there and then i actually think i'm even more to blame because then we got back from study abroad and my birthday was like 10 days later yes. it was my 21st birthday so you came right i did that was the night before i got super sick right 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 and it was my 21st and so dan was already 21 so we I threw a big party, and I think that I'm also to blame for Dan just didn't know how to quit the partying. Oh, no. We were 21. We were 20. Like, Yeah. Mm. I blame no one but myself. 
Please do not blame yourself. I don't oh, you blame did. myself, but I enabled. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You were born. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. Um, we needed to celebrate it. It was worth it. I would do I could always me. rely on you. <laughs> Still right. can. Becky so. was born, decades passed, and then Dan got very ill. <laughs> 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 but he's here now, and that's all that matters. And now he's exactly. he's an extremely well-known um diy yeah. punk band famous band. in south willie uh, south philly and bushwick <laughs> south willie and in dc apparently dan was just saying before we started that a 16 year old came to his, po- to his podcast to his show last night <laughs> yeah sh- live music is kind of like a, a long podcast you know yeah yeah it's <laughs> true all right so with that said let's get into some questions get into some topics something that i think we like to ask every guest um at the jump is just sort of like a broad question about pop music and i want to ask what do you like about pop music well i would say in general music is my absolute favorite thing in the world uh which is why i waste so much time doing it and thinking about it and pop to me, pop music is kind of anything with mainstream appeal. I mean, I know on this pod, y'all like specifically kind of talk about a general facet of it, but I, I would say pop music in general, it, whether it's top 40 or like just accessible rock music because it's changed over time. It, like when a good pop song grabs you, it's like, it's, it's almost primal and thoughtless and it's just it's such a powerful feeling that really can't be replicated in any other way. And I love that. Mm. It's beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. I know what you mean. I kind of feel the same way. I've been listening to a lot, the Kesha's new song raising hell. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really great pop song in that it fully like, takes my full attention for the three minutes of the song like i very much can get lost in it oh i love it when there's a song that you just need to listen to over and over again because your brain just refuses to stop thinking about it yeah and then it's just that's a good pop song that to me like when you voluntarily will do it and it's not just or when you're foisted upon you by repetitive radio plays yeah Yeah, or even when you're, like, for me, sometimes it's even when I'm excited to, like, do my laundry or something because I'm, like, oh, I'm going to listen to music and there are, like, a couple of new songs that my brain is, like, really trying to listen to right now. It's Mm -hmm. when I get excited for a commute even. I'm, like, the best part of my day is when I can spend, like, 45 minutes just listening to music on my way to somewhere. Yeah, especially if you've got a song like that that you just love right now. That's great. Um. Will you tell us a little bit about your band, Trash Boy, and perhaps your your history as a musician, your purpose, because your band is politically leaning in a good way? And yeah, will you? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to answer this in a way that is like not just a biography, because I, I think that the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. I've I've been a musician 
like since I was six, my mom made me take piano lessons because her mom made her take piano lessons when she was a kid. And also she played guitar growing up and just knew it was a good thing to to have your kid do. It's a good skill to foster. It makes your brain think in good ways. And I kind of just never stopped from there. I played cello in my school orchestra. I was lucky enough. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. And because the Virginia Symphony is there, luckily there's like a lot of music resources available in the public education system, which a ton of places do not have that benefit. And I like looking back, that definitely helped it remain a consistent part of my life and something I was always doing, which I'm very appreciative of. So keep Mm. music programs in schools. You have no idea what they could do for some, for the kids. The kids don't even realize what they're doing at what is you know it's doing for them and at the moment either mm-hmm. it's it's just a good thing to do and uh you know band charter schools anyways what <laughs> sometimes i think about how i gave up the flute in seventh grade and how sometimes i wish my i wish that my mom had forced me to keep playing it mm-hmm. not that i was yeah. good by any means but like it would have been it's like a good thing to know how to do to read music at least Absolutely. I, I, it's just, I, I wish I knew how to do other arts. I wish I could draw too, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, there's so many things I wish I could do that I've never really learned because it was never, no one thought it was important for me to know it. It's not part of the optimization culture. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's no, there wasn't, you know, someone's probably building an app for it now, but that's not a replacement for true learning Mm -hmm. anyways. So been a lifelong musician. And as I got older, I started to discover music that I liked myself, which was usually a lot of punk music or a lot of music with coming from a political standpoint, because my parents are also uh, lifelong political activists and have been arrested and gone to prison multiple times. So they kind of raised me in a way where I could see, you know, the the power dynamics and play of our society from the beginning and have a very, like, deep understanding of poverty and, uh, and violence mm-hmm. and how they replicate themselves, like, constantly throughout history, and especially in America. So... Music that speaks to those, like, within that frame of understanding really speaks to me because it is how I was raised to view the world, basically. And that's how I found punk music, and punk music found me. And it's been great. It's been great ever since. And um, I just, so I played in a band in high school with, like, my just my good buddies at the time. I mean, they're still my good friends, but they don't live in Philly. Only one of them lives in Philly. And it was great. It was less punky than the stuff I play now, but it was like my, it was my favorite thing to do. Then went to college, wasn't really sure what I was going to do over time, realized music was still my favorite thing. The brain abscess also helped with that actually. Cause after I had that, I was like, Oh, what do I want to spend with all my time now that I'm not dead doing music? 
yeah, I guess that's. I think it's, I, I often like, actually, when I think of like more of my more political friends, like, or people that I've like met in my life, I think of you, Dan, especially because our study abroad program was extremely political, both the program was about the European Union and now it's like in retrospect, I should have paid way more attention because of everything that's going on with Brexit, but here or there, but also the kids on our program were very political across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I often actually think of my study abroad time and you especially, um, and you being especially political. And like, I think that for me, you weren't like, uh, Oh my God, look at this like progressive dude. But for a lot of kids, on our program, I think they were like their first experience with an activist for a better term. I think so too. And I'm glad, uh, they, they tolerated it. (laughs) I'm glad I'm still friends with them. (laughs) You know, it makes me feel good that I'm not just shouting into the void forever. (laughs) I'm sure that's what it feels. It, that's what it feels like. Um, you know, for all of us sometimes probably, but, but, um, of course. Yeah. I guess I want to, um, play like a little bit of a trash boy song. but is there is there a way that you would how I guess how would you describe the band's sound a little bit god we're a punk band that wants to focus on the feeling of justified anger and bringing that into the world and hopefully people can hear that and recognize that in themselves but also not like pull out those feelings, but not give in to despair and make it like hopefully uplifting or at least making people not feel alone, make you feel like you're not insane for being really angry with the way everything is because it should make you angry, but also don't give up the hope and belief that like there are things worth doing with your life, even within our extremely unjust and, uh, unbalanced system that we live in power and money wise yeah I mean that makes a lot of sense and I think it's really cool and powerful in a way and soul enriching when you can put your music or really any of your hobbies or really more broadly any of your actions um, and make them aligned with your values and connect with other people that way um and and I would say, too, I mean, it is also like kind of artistic too. I mm-hmm. also play in another band called Little War, and that is more my like. I kind of let my anger, my id anger, and out in that, and just put put a little more of the darkness. But I still want that to be like uplifting in its own way too. I just don't. I don't want to feed into despair in any way because it's so easy to. But 
there's a lot of ways like that's why music is so powerful you can you can create something really ugly potentially but if it resonates with you in the right way it feels like a validation rather than a like a, a howl of of giving up if that makes any sense yeah yeah totally i mean i was just thinking about this earlier when i was reading something about like the climate crisis and it's like yeah things are very bad and you can't fix it alone but there's something like very i don't know there's just something that feels very right and that feels very alive about like aligning your actions with in this case like the earth and being like i am on like this is the side that i am on Mm -hmm. and i am going to express that in everything i do as much as i can um and then to have the artistic element as well is great um my last question about trash boy is and or your bands at large is like will you let me attempt to sell merch <laughs> i actually wrote this at, our Google Doc at another show which i did poorly <laughs> yes please do actually because we just finished a tour yesterday actually in dc and here i still am and for the first time we had a friend come along the whole time and sell merch and that is how we made money mm-hmm. and it seems so obvious in retrospect yeah. that it's just so much easier to have someone take care of that for you but you know, sometimes you take DIY a little too literally and you're just like, we have to do everything. Or you feel like, not even as like an ethos, but it's just like, yeah, no one else would do this. <laughs> but um, so yeah, actually, please do it. <laughs> could you talk a little bit about like you've recorded an album, like what that was like and like putting together this tour? I think for listeners, it'd be interesting to hear about like this whole process for you sure. and like, your band. To- totally. I, I mean, and in general, I would say it's kind of taught me how the music industry works now. It is really on the onus of bands and musicians to just set aside the time and money to d- create what they want to create themselves. Because the way the internet has changed everything makes it so record labels don't really send A&R guys to shows looking for new bands to be like, oh, we can sign you and, you know, play on the radio or do all this PR and exposure for you. It's kind of like you have to, or at least the path I have chosen is you have to be a part of your local scene and, you know, meet like-minded musicians and foster a real like community and of support and uh, do it's it just makes it so much easier because everybody has the same goal of playing shows, getting their music to people who would like it. And so we just spent a few years doing that in Philly, basically, which is a great place to do it. Uh, but, you know, we we have too many people moving in now. Don't move there. Please stop. No more. <laughs> no, I'm just that would be hypocritical of me to say. But uh, so the the long the length of time a band has to be DIY now is longer because of the nature of the music industry and it, it's true with really any genre I think and and connections you have now are like more important than ever so if you don't have connections you have to like you have to create them and you have to just constantly do stuff and try to meet more and new people and hope maybe they'll have a connection to somebody 
So, and that's why you can't remember how you met anyone because you're <laughs> meeting people all the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, I'm not, it's overwhelming. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to say like, I, I'm an extremely popular person or anything. Just, just, I think you might I, I'm hustling, I'm hustling and my brain is bad and I smoke too much weed. <laughs> and, but so anyways, so that to to even be able to record an album in the first place that is any good i feel you have to dedicate time first to you know the pure craft of being a musician which is if you don't if you're not raised with it or encouraged to do it at a certain point in your life i don't you're never too old to learn how to do music too which is great and an important a thing and a thing about punk i like too is aesthetically it's kind of like yeah, you're just, you know, bands are very skilled, but you can make a great punk song with very rudimentary playing. And that's very liberating to me. And I like that a lot. Um, but we just, it basically is, you will, you will get out what you put in. And we put in years of writing song, me and Chris, my, the other singer and guitarist who've known each other since we were in college, we put in years of writing songs and finding the right people to play with hosting shows in our basement when we live together and just fi figuring out what other people are doing who have the same crazy impulse to try to make music and hope people will care about it in the face of constant indifference. And then eventually we just had the right Members, uh, an insanely good drummer, Noli Morris, who I think you should have on this show sometime. I bet she would have a great perspective on a lot. Of, and she also loves pop music. I think she would have a lot of good things to say. For sure. Um, and a, right before we recorded our new, uh, our newest album, we got a a fourth member to play the bass. Before me and Chris would just trade off between guitar and bass, and it. It didn't make much sense to do for any like long period of time. And we, we clicked, we wrote a bunch of songs together that felt right. And we, we met, um, we recorded at a studio, which was the first time any of us had ever recorded in an actual studio uh, with a producer, Kyle Pulley, who it, it's like a really big studio in, uh, in Philly called the headroom and uh that like the i don't know i don't know if what people know but hop along records there their guitarist is like the other main producer besides kyle they've recorded they record like a lot of emo bands like joyce manor and remo drive and uh but they record all kinds of music too so it was really cool working with them they really knew what they were doing there and but it was just and kyle had heard us before because the drummer in his band actually was a drummer me and chris played with when we were in college and uh his cousin also went to college with me and chris so between those two people he had listened to our first album that we recorded ourselves in our friend's living room and was like oh yeah i'm like excited to work with you which is all and then we, you know, we paid him to do it, which is all to say everything in music takes a long time. Nothing 
if if someone blows up overnight it's because they know somebody basically which is just kind of the way things work and you have to be really dedicated to you know spending money that and time that you might not otherwise want to do Mm-hmm. because it could be all for nothing potentially but you have to be okay with that yeah that's an excellent point and um yeah i had i had known that you had recorded in a like real studio and and when i heard the album i was like oh this is like excellent quality not the other ones but you know it's just like a level yeah. up the other one sounds like the other one sounds like it was recorded in a house. Like it, I mean, it's still enjoyable. It's just yeah. like, it's just, there's just something so clean, you know, about a studio um, of this caliber, but what you're saying about, you know, all the people you've met, all the hustling you do all the time that it takes just has me thinking about something we've talked about before, but I think you have uh, an insider <laughs> perspective on it. Just, um, your sense of the music industry and the forces at play. And, you know, sometimes we don't really get to see behind the curtain of like, why does this person get put out here and this person gets to say something or this person gets to have their album elevated and not other people and the dynamics between people who know people and are very wealthy and privileged and therefore get to make music and don't even sort of have um a struggle with it or a financial struggle or anything and then the people who have to be very scrappy for lack of a better word to do the thing they love while also doing other things and just hoping that nothing goes wrong or or there aren't any surprises so they can keep doing this thing that they love um kind of rambling here but sort of just like interested more in your sense of the music industry and like kind of how it's evolved too in this like attention economy like overexposure economy i don't know yeah totally i mean it's it the internet has is kind of it's democratized things in a certain way in that like everyone can have their music very easily accessible but it's just there's just so much and so curation is is so key but it's also but the streaming services has made it so there's very few ways to actually find new music for new audiences which is very frustrating because i'm just to go on a little tangent for a second i fucking hate spotify i like (laughs) the the owner of spotify the ceo i forget his name of is uh, a half a billion dollars richer than Paul McCartney, who is the richest pop musician in the world. Wow. And that is just so, I mean, they're both billionaires and as we all know, there should be no billionaires, but yes, exactly. But the, just that, just that fact that he is way significantly richer than Paul McCartney, who's been doing music his entire life and has been as successful as you possibly can be at it. Some fucking jackass just created a an app that someone else would have. There's no like he he didn't bring anything unique to the t- 
table. Mm -hmm. He just did it first. And who knows like how many throats he's slit and faces he's stepped on with his boots along the way. Like, and there, there you go. That's, I mean, it just, it, you don't we feel don't the same way in any way that makes sense. <laughs> I was gonna say, you don't feel the same way about YouTube. It's different. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, I just mean, I, that's just the a salient number for me. It, it's all, it's all bad. Like it, it's all bad and exploitative. And the, the old music industry was obviously exploitative too. Like musicians would always be signing bad contracts where that just totally fucks them over and they end up making no money, but they could like, they would end up with some sort of career trajectory. I mean, I'm not saying the trade-off is necessarily worth it, but it is something that has changed over time. And it's, it is definitely frustrating to see, I mean, just even my friends who are, I, I, so, so many of my friends are so fucking talented and make such incredible music. And it it's so frustrating to see them play shows and make recordings and just go like, you know, relatively unnoticed where, when I know like a record label from the nineties would have immediately signed them. Mm. And at least they would have like, maybe they would be like one of those flash in the, the pan bands and like, get totally fucked over and you know maybe that's not great either but like th at least everyone would know who they are and would know some of their songs mm -hmm. so it's like i don't know much like all of the modern digital world it's very frustrating yeah <laughs> and it is becoming increasingly monopolized and we should uh nationalize facebook and then destroy it oh. <laughs> That would be iconic. I think we all deserve that. We all deserve to see that happen. Um, we've been through enough. And I certainly haven't been through as much as a lot of people via Facebook. So, yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. I, what you're talking about there um, is, like, reminiscent of um, another episode we did about 1999 and just how the music industry was certainly corrupt in its own way, but um, less polished than it is now. Like something could accidentally kind of become a hit totally, um, totally. and it did, or it didn't have to be super polished to become a hit. And there was like, people took riskier chances mm -hmm. in the past for sure. Yeah. At, yeah. And then nine 11 happened and then it became much more formulaic. Are those connected? It's not clear, but, uh, it might be the case, but mm -hmm. fear is the death of creativity. <laughs> That's true. At least like too much of it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's paralyzing. Um, but what I, you know, cause we, well, maybe you don't listen to Spotify, but certainly like I and Becky and Hannah, I think we like mostly use Spotify to listen I, to stuff, right? Yeah, I only use Spotify. Yeah, and I, and that you know, that's part of the point is like it's able to kind of become this monopoly, and this guy is so wealthy as a result of that. I mean, um, like I used to use LimeWire and like oh, yeah. illegally Shout download out. my music and Good. put it on iTunes. <laughs> Shout out LimeWire. Shout out LimeWire. I don't know, like what's worse, you know, like uh, so. I, it's it's hard to really give any kind of value of what is worse because you know the people making the music are 
always getting fucked over somehow. But I definitely think, and it's also easy to say that just like looking back in the past is inherently just kind of nostalgic and you're all, everyone's always like, what was the best when I was Mm -hmm. a teenager? But I think the internet at least was easily the best when we were teenagers. And because by now people have really figured out how to make money off of it. And that always makes everything worse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it was great. I just, I discovered so much music when I was a teenager by just looking at blogs that would have like, Mediafire links to entire albums, entire discography, mm. discographies of it from the biggest people in the world to the most obscure artists that I, it, and I just don't know. I don't think Spotify and the streaming services lead that lead to that in the same way. I mean, obviously that's kind of an individual thing too. Like I was compelled to consume as much music as I possibly could when I was a teenager because that's just how my brain worked but I I wonder how like teenagers with the same impulses find stuff now too because everything's on Spotify but how do you know what to look for yeah how there's so know? much more noise now than there was yeah when we were not even te- yes teenagers but even when we were like yeah like 10 or 11 or 12 even that like even now when I'm on Spotify I yeah I end up just listening to the same four songs over again. Right. Because it's yeah. like too much. There's like too much content and there's too much to listen to that I scares me. Totally. Yeah. And and one of the things related to Spotify, right? It's all sort of oversaturated. And I definitely agree when we were teens and even like early, early twenties. Um the internet was a much better, cooler place because um, the powers that be hadn't figured out how to or that they should be for the sake of their own profit monetizing mm-hmm. everything. And this is true of like blogs. There were all these like blogging sites um, that were amazing and sort of, yeah, like independent writers and freelancers. And then in terms of music, oh, yeah. the same kind of thing um yeah we don't we don't value music journalism now i feel like i mean there's like pitchfork and anthony fantano that's mm-hmm. about it like yeah. that's pathetic i mean i yeah. i i kind of like anthony fantano like he, i like his taste and i'm glad that he's like exposing people to weird and harsh music and that people eat it up but you know to me, that just shows there should be even more of him. Like, there should be more guys like him doing that and women and non-binary people doing those things. And Pitchfork just fucking sucks. Pitchfork is just MTV for people who went to liberal arts school. <laughs> I, like, recently, every time an album comes out, I like to read reviews of it. And I was actually thinking this. There are, like, so few – Billboard still does reviews, but there's, like, so few places that, like, A, actually review music I listen to or B, like, or opinions I value in shaping my own opinion on something. Yeah. A lot of it is just, it's just kind of like phoning it in. It's not very incisive. It's not, yeah. It's not someone that you trust to have opinions about the music that you're interested in a lot of Yeah. I'm like, why did you give this 6.5 pitchfork? Doesn't really. Right. I don't really know why. 
My my favorite ones are the reviews that are just like totally incongruous with the number too. It's yeah. just like, oh, this is like a pretty positive review, six point five. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I love the Onion article that's like, Pitchfork gives music a six point eight. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. You got you really got to impress them to get yeah, into the one. sevens, and that's just not yeah. just not happening. But um, one thing, like what you're saying about the way you discovered music, um as a teen on the internet is really interesting to me because I don't think I did that. Like I listened to a ton of different genres and stuff, mm-hmm. but it was mostly kind of like the, the regular streaming way of that moment or like mix CDs or mm-hmm. other, other things like that. Um, and then now I feel like this is sort of like maybe the paradox of Spotify to me is like, I know it's just kind of this like, monster conglomerate kind of situation now um but it's also like the way that I've found a lot of different types of music and I think something that Hannah and Becky and I have talked about before is like it's the way that we've found a lot of what we would call indie pop whether it's through like mm-hmm. discover weekly or, but it's but who knows what the algorithm is and right what we're like missing out on or right. not being presented with when we do get those things but it's sort of like yeah, the algorithm sort of like shrouds and fortifies itself at the same time because it's like, oh, look at the, I don't know. Well, it, yeah, no one knows how it works, which is, I mean, automatically suspicious to me. And we actually submitted songs. So when we, when we put out the first album, we just didn't know what we were doing, just totally rushed it. We we're just like, we're psyched. We've been playing these songs for years. We're psyched for them to be out, whatever. Like, they're just there on Spotify now. This time we planned a little better, still did a lot of shit at the last minute because that's just how we operate, but like submitted our some songs to playlists. And that process is so, so simple that it's like, I don't see how anybody gets noticed that way. It makes me think that it if you are on a label, they take those submissions more seriously than just a random DIY people because you know I'm sure you know thou- tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of bands are submitting their songs to be considered for the playlist and therefore like the algorithm all- every day so how do you possibly listen to that and how I you know I don't know for sure I don't know how it works but it seems to me it has to be like this is the purpose of labels and you know the 2010s is like how they would used to send stuff to radio stations in the past and push for stuff to be on the radio stations then now they're using their like literal and social capital to be like listen to these bands that we have signed these are the ones you should take seriously and then that's kind of how like all of a sudden everyone gets the same band on their daily mix at some point and Mm. like it you you know i don't not again no attributing no like value to this as a good or bad thing but just like this is this is how it works yeah it it could it good for those bands i you know they definitely like i feel like there are I, i feel like i saw this happen with big thief which i knew about them about them a, a bit before they really blew up just because I'm friends with a bunch of musicians and people are always recommending and talking about bands. 
and then but then eventually it was like oh now every all my not musician friends all of a sudden know about this band uh and they all say like oh yeah they've been coming up on my like discover weekly playlist mm-hmm. or or what have you so it's definitely a powerful tool I bet it's also like how ads come up where like we're talking about it. Spotify is recording it. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, and like for, for whatever big thief is now going to come up on my discover weekly. I often wonder like on my release radar that comes out on, on Fridays, how sometimes I don't even get notified of like songs from artists that I like listen to. And then other times it's like random musicians that I don't ever listen to. Yeah. I also wonder if maybe it's a monetary thing and like that also comes up with whoever comes up on our like radios, you know, when you like put like, when we were talking about recently about King Princess and how we heard about her through like radio, I found at least about her through Spotify radio and she actually like does not have a big, a large following, at least like what I had thought in my mind though, because she always came up on my Spotify stuff. I had assumed she had a larger following than she does so yeah yeah it's it's really hard to it's impossible to know how well known a band is i mean i we i get emails from bands a lot either asking us to play if they're coming through philly or like asking me to host a show when i ran the house venue and i still just do general booking just because i've been doing it for years and people somehow find out I'm a person to, to email. And I, I'll get these bands that I think are very mediocre sometimes, and they have like tens to hundreds of thousands of Spotify plays. And I'm just like, how? This doesn't make any sense. And then I will like put a show on for them, and then like nobody comes. Mm. So it's really the, people are figuring out how to, to juke these stats clearly because it is i mean because numbers lie Mm -hmm. but people think they don't (laughs) so it's really hard i and i'm i'm against trying to quantify things basically just philosophically just just this is one of the main reasons i'm against capitalism you can't you cannot all the good things in life you cannot properly quantify so why even try (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, like thinking about that and thinking about um Becky what you just said about King Princess and thinking about some like a word pair that we throw around a lot here but also just like more broadly in the pop music community indie pop mm-hmm. um which I think means different things to different people and like sort of seems like an oxymoron cuz it's like you know indie sort of like independent not mainstream music and then pop Mm -hmm. popular music um and so I think like to some people it's a sound and to other people it's like an independent if if it's an independent label though that gets complicated with um sort of the stature of depending on the label or it's just someone who's unsigned which I think is fair enough but I don't know. There are a lot of different ways to sort of frame it. And so I wanted to see like Becky, when we talk about indie pop ever, like who are you sort of thinking of or like what kind of music are you kind of thinking of? It's funny because Mimi asked me and Hannah this and Hannah's not here to speak about this, but like 
she, the three of us had very different, I think, feelings about it. Like, I think, when I think of indie pop, I like think of Rilo Kylie and Jenny Lewis mm-hmm. and like music like that. That's like more like, it's definitely popish, but it's more, what was it? Hip? That's like a hipper, like rockish kind of vibe. And like, that's what I think of. But Hannah, who's not here, so she cannot speak on this, said like, um, Charlie X, what I can never get. Charlie XCX. XCX. And yeah. like, um, kind of that music, which is not what I would consider indie and pop. like Betty Who, right? Yeah. She said Betty yeah. Who. This music that like, I would just consider pop. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe she, I mean, she obviously, I'm just speaking for her, but what I, what I interpreted her saying that is like music, pop music, that's like a B or C list celebrity. Sorry, Betty Who, you're great. But like, not like a mainstream person. <laughs> Um, which is not how I like I think Jenny Lewis is extremely famous but I think her tone and her music is what makes it more indie for me yeah I mean I think it's I think it is largely aesthetic and just market marketing driven marketing Mm -hmm. strategy like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what genre like delineations you have been historically often just here here's how we're going to market the this this sound or this group of bands and I fucking love Jenny Lewis and Rilo Kylie. Like I've loved them my whole life. Yeah, you got but, three stands. Yeah, three yeah. stands. And a good, good thing Hannah's not here because she's uh, she doesn't know them. Like we, she's a non-believer. Yeah. yeah, but I have nothing nothing bad to say about Jenny Lewis or Rilo Kylie. But she is also proof that connections are how you get places because yep. she was yep. a child star, and yep. you know, obviously incredibly talented deserves to be famous and deserves to have her songs known but you know what about all the jenny lewises that were born in coal country pennsylvania mm-hmm. they, they need their chance they need their connections yeah. they're taylor swift they moved to nashville and they become taylor swift right. <laughs> if they, their dad can afford them for them yeah. to do that yeah <laughs> and they pretend that they never once lived in pennsylvania yeah never once lived in coal, coal pennsylvania yeah it so it is you know it, it just like everything else in society i think it's important to remember that the music industry is an industry and it functions as the same way as basically everything else the yeah. rich have a huge advantage and um to me that kind of quite brings into question like how left wing can pop music or it in like i was defining that like i said before like just general music with mainstream appeal not just literal like top 40 Katy perry type stuff but that too like how how left wing can it really be because for the most part the people making it are just inherently very privileged people who don't have to worry about political questions like politics at best if they think about it at all is kind of a game to them and not a matter of life and death as it is to the majority of people. Yeah. We kind of touched upon this, I think pre in on previous stuff before, but I actually was going to give the example. I think Hannah gave us, but I don't know if it works for Dan. It's saying like, are you, you're a sports fan, but are you, you are like the same kind of um, like, that's a whole industry that like a lot of people across the political spectrum get involved in, involved in too. Well, I, I, I think, sports and music are similar in that it's they're both take a lot of time and effort to get good at them and being able to dedicate that time and effort is a privilege 
and therefore very attractive. It's easy for people who, who have the means and the resources to do it from a young age. And, but also very attractive to uh, people who don't because it's a way to do something you love and potentially make a real living off of it because there's a lot of money behind both of those things. Mm-hmm. And it's, right. it's more insidious with sports because especially football, because it's like, you know, uh, you're getting kids to destroy their bodies in hopes mm-hmm. of being able to become professional athletes and so, uh, oftentimes ruining their lives in the process. And I mean, that's a whole other issue. And, you know, I'm a big Eagles fan. Like I, I, I'm not saying don't watch sports, but I just think it's important for people to, you know, consider what their consumption means and the the background of all the things they're consuming because the unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah. I think, I think what you're saying, Becky, I think um, what you're getting at too, and and what we got into in a previous episode, you did it about, toxic masculinity yeah that was is these things i mean there's that right there's that um privilege on the people who get to excel in those industries Mm -hmm. most of the time almost always but then as consumers there is the idea of like you can't you can't pick and choose like sports are okay like I don't have a critical eye towards any of that but I am gonna just critique like pop music like this yeah that's what I was yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And that, like, I yeah, that was a good episode because it's yeah. totally it it is a total gendered thing. Like, oh, I'm not gonna listen to stuff that's marketed towards women and teenage girls. Like, what? That's not a real critique. Like, yeah, you just you could describe the uh, the material reality without like saying anybody shouldn't like a thing or that a thing yeah. has no value. Right. And that's just that's just using your brain, and it's and movies too. Hard to do. Yeah, it is. definitely movies too. Movies, yeah, yeah. Like movies are so exploitative, and, and TV shows. And yeah, yeah. The every, the you know the entire inter- entertainment industry is yeah. what we're talking about. Basically, mm-hmm. you can't pick and choose. It's the same across the board, and you should care about what what you are giving your money to, like. Supporting your local music scene is kind of like buying local food. Like you're, you're, it's good to foster this if you care about where you live and you want it to be like a, a good city to live in or or town. Like it doesn't have to be a city wherever you are. If you, if you want there to be culture around you and people doing, people uh, can have the freedom to express ideas and say things and build community. Like you should, yeah. Listen to the mainstream stuff, of course, but there, there's so much music out there, and if you love music, you will love some band that is playing in your city or town or wherever you are. I, I guarantee. I love that. Yeah, that's extremely real. So to sort of as sort of like the last thing to end on this, um, you were saying sort of how leftist can pop music be how progressive when you know the politics that we're trying to get behind are politics that interrogate this entire power structure Mm -hmm. and want to tear it to the ground ultimately um and yet a lot of this music um in the mainstream or that gets elevated even just like on spotify um 
is inherently tied to this power structure in a way that's oppositional to a lot of our politics. Mm -hmm. And so how leftist can it be? And something you said to me recently is that punk music is the answer to the question of how pop music can be leftist. And I really like that. Yes, you're right. I'm there, you know, there could be, there could be more than a way, but sort of in your experience and from your point of view. um, Yeah. If you could just, how do we get out of here, Dan? (laughs) How do we get out of this? Well, we need to, (laughs) we need to give Elon Musk all of our monies and, you know, ride his slingshots that will launch us all to Mars. And then we can escape global warming and fuck up an entirely new planet. I'm down. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I well, so to me, I part of it is just like the precedent of punk and I, I like it there is a rich history there. And there's also a history of punk that is purely aesthetic and just kind of provocative for the sake of being provocative and I think does not really have much value, but but I, I to me, uh punk music now is kind of like what folk music was when Woody Guthrie was making music Mm -hmm. like not even folk music in the 60s I mean Bob Dylan too but like what it really was when it was regular ass people just saying singing about their lives and wanting to get that out there and I love that that is what is most compelling to me like I you know like I said before played in orchestras played cello growing up I love classical music I love every genre of music but what what is compelling to me, what makes me want to do shit with my life is hearing music made by people talking about their lives and having something to say about the world around them. And punk is a great vehicle. And I think any kind of pop music could be. But when the focus is so largely on either playing the industry game to get heard or famous or you know just trying to like 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 howard zen says you can't be neutral on a moving train to just like Mm -hmm. make really palatable stuff that doesn't question anything but then and like by not saying anything you you're kind of just going along with the status quo or even directly reinforcing it with like super materialistic pop songs that kind of make my skin crawl (laughs) personally and just can't really relate to (laughs) but uh so but i you know there is space there is space for telling these kinds of stories in all genres of music i just think punk is particularly good at it and it's what i personally like but i'm i want there to be more overtly leftist music of all types like you get people like rap's pretty good at it but then there's also so much money involved in rap that it you could just see it become a corrupting influence as uh rappers get more and more famous and richer and richer then they kind of like lose it's it's i mean it's just the classic success story of losing sight of reality because it either either you're, you're just like losing any sense of moral intuition once you have a certain amount of money exactly which happens to all it happens to you in whatever industry you're in, but um, 
I'm always heartened when political music does get popular and hope it can be maintained. And I think, I guess the solution, a solution to me is I think musicians should just not expect or uh, want to become billionaires, definitely, or even like really millionaires. Just music should be, there should be a working class type of music career where you're not going to become super rich but you you will live you can make enough money to live you can make enough money to raise a family that is my personal goal with my own life at least right now is like how do we create this world in general that doesn't have such economic stratification and how can i as a musician try make that play out within an industry that I'm involved in and, you know, have very little power in, but is it even possible? I don't know. It, the, 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 the imbalance of money might just be too great and it could just be a losing game. But I think that's the goal is like, don't what's the, there's no point in being rich <laughs> there's, after a certain level, like, you know, that just, I don't, I, I don't, I reject that as a value system. Yeah. And I hope that I want to help create a society where people can do what they love and not have to struggle to do it. And all people have, have the chance to do that. And I think that world would inherently have a lot of leftist messages in their music and a lot of leftist inclinations because that is that is what leftism is essentially absolutely that's beautiful that's the world we want and a good note to end on yeah it is and yet i'm gonna say one more thing (laughs) no no that's that's where we should end but it just occurred to me to just say that um a little earlier we were looking at the playlists or, or the rally oh, songs yeah. of um different uh candidates of oh. the election and i was reminiscing in a bad way about um <laughs> hillary clinton and like rachel platten fight <laughs> song and how i was so getting bad. when i was like there's no way someone <laughs> who has this as their song every time they uh walk on stage can possibly win a presidential election <laughs> just <laughs> right just so pandering it's so pandering and hollow (laughs) it makes me wonder if that's what did her in i think it i think yes ultimately we can (laughs) yeah we can blame one fell swoop we can blame (laughs) rachel platten for this i i think that she probably blames herself rachel platten (laughs) (laughs) she's like i didn't know what i was doing (laughs) i was trying to make this innocuous inspirational song it was late 2014 i didn't know it was on the horizon i just thought it would be played in malls across america that's all i wanted (laughs) i was just trying to coast by get some royalties i'll play on the radio being a few commercials (laughs) yeah so you know we're a year out from the election now be careful everyone Mm -hmm. be careful with the song yeah with the song with the songs you choose great well dan thank you so much for thank you so much being on this podcast and sharing your views with us and your tenor voice yeah yeah. for the asmr yes thanks so much for having me on it's a great pod i i'm i hope people are 
interested in anything I have to say. <laughs> I'm sure they are. I think they, I think they have to be. Can you just tell us where our listeners can find you on the internet oh, yeah. if they are to find you? Absolutely. We're all over the internet. We, as much as I do not like Spotify, we we're still on there. We're on all the streaming apps slash websites. Uh, under Trash Boy, we're on all the social media as Trash Boy Philly. If you type that in, you'll find us. My other band, Little War, is working on a full album right now. We're very close to being done. I think that will be on all um, streaming things eventually. But right now, we just have like an EP from last year that is only on Bandcamp, which is littlewarhxc.bandcamp.com. Bandcamp is great. Bandcamp is my favorite. They don't have a good app, and it's kind of difficult to use because of that. But they, we need more companies like them that are willing to like actually be centric and actually pay artists money and not be about just lining their fucking CEOs' pockets until they're richer than Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, well, go find Dan. He's out there. So that was our interview with Dan, and that's our show. Yay. Hannah's I'm back. I'm back. Time <laughs> <laughs> travel. Uh, what a good interview that was. Oh my goodness. So cool. Let's do it every day. Great. <laughs> we love to talk with you, even though we didn't <laughs> hear. Yeah, not me. Sides. You all, not me. <laughs> right. Follow us on Instagram at Listen to the B Sides, on Twitter at The B Sides Pod, and join our Facebook group by searching The B Sides or going to bit.ly forward slash B Sides FB group. Email us with questions and ideas at listen to the B Sides at gmail.com. And subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes, please. Kindly use the word trash in your review so we know you listen to this app. So see you in two Wednesdays. We only have two episodes left in our season, so those will be coming out towards the end of the year, and then we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we'll be back, but look out for this episode and the next two closing off 2019. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah Zoe. Bye, friends. Bye. Bye.